You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to season five of The Better Man Podcast today, episode one, season five. We've got a great guest lined up. John Stone Street is with us. John is the president of the Colson Center and also a co-host at Breakpoint Radio. Here's why we invited John on the podcast today. We're going to have a conversation. How would I describe it? We're going to talk about men in college, men in college. That's the theme that runs through it. We talk about a bunch of other things, but that's the main theme and the main uh, start of our conversation. And here's why we're going to talk about that back in September of 2021. The Wall Street Journal put out an article talking about how men are giving up on college. They are no longer going or they're dropping out. Stone Street and the crew over there at Breakpoint put together a really great response on that and some of the cultural implications, some of the implications of that from a worldview perspective, like on what does this say about the culture and the way they're engaging men, some of the labels they're putting on men, some of the ways they think about men, and what can we as followers of Jesus and the church do in response to this? It was a great article, and we thought, let's bring John on to talk about this, because it all fits very much with the heartbeat of what we're trying to do at Better Man. And so the Wall Street Journal article was a little bit doom and gloom, a little bit of bad news, but uh, John definitely found the hope in the midst of all of this and really some great calls to action in the midst of all this. So I think you're going to be really encouraged by this conversation. So with all that said, enjoy my time with John Stone Street. All right, here we go. Well, John, welcome to the Better Man podcast. Good to have you here today. Uh, Great to be with you. Thanks. Yeah. So, okay. September 2021, Wall Street Journal puts out an article called A Generation of American Men Give Up on College. I feel lost. Uh, What was your immediate reaction when you read this article? Well, I think there's (laughs) probably three of them. I mean, the first one is, is that just on a financial ROI sort of level, a lot of people are giving up on college uh, just because, you know, just purely where the state of higher education is in general this isn't specific to being male or female. It's just going into incredible amounts of debt for promises of a job and a secure income that it's just the math isn't working out. Um, secondly, a lot of people are giving up on college because they're actually not coming out employable. Uh, you know, as, uh, the educational philosophy has kind of gone away from being uh, trained to do a specific job, which I think in and of itself wasn't, uh, holistic enough anyway, but really has moved into kind of the woke direction in a whole lot of ways. Um, but, but the third is, is just specifically with, with young men. I mean, it's, it's fascinating when you look at uh, the, the milestones to adulthood. And that includes, you know, graduating from college, getting married, buying your first house, entering a job force, filing your first taxes, uh, that women are doing that far earlier than men. And, um, and, 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 and it's just, it, it, there's just not that incentive to grow up for, for, for young men. And I think there's also the reality in college. College also doesn't provide those tools, doesn't pro- provide those incentives to jump past those milestones. But there's an awful lot in higher education that spends four years telling young men what's wrong with young men. Um, all masculinity is portrayed as being toxic, for example, um, particularly, um, you know, majority culture men, white men versus uh, minority, uh, ethnic minorities. Um, th- this is the, the, the way the story is told in history, in economics, uh, in politics, in campus and culture life. Um, if you belong to this particular demographic, you're the bad guy. Uh, you, you belong to the bad guys. 
And if you are a part of a different demographic, you belong to the good guys. And there's one, of course, exception to that. And that is, is if you're a biological male who claims to be a woman, uh, then you're in the moral good class. And, and th- these are just categories that have transcended moral norms. They've transcended realities on the ground. They've just become the framework by which we see a lot of things. It's, it's, um, it's it, you know, obviously the framework of what's called critical theory. And even if many classes aren't shaped by critical theory uh, in an academic sense, like, you know, which as we know, critical theory itself is primarily a legal theory. There's a critical theory mood that shapes our analysis of things, both present and past. And um, th- that I think is ubiquitous. I think that shows up almost everywhere. Yeah. So I would imagine you read a lot of articles from a lot of publications. <laughs> it's kind of what my job. It? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was it about this one though, that caused you and Casey to want to, you know, write a response to it? Well, you know, we don't write things that we're mad at. We don't write things right. just to say, uh, you know, how stupid is that? Or look at the baddies over there. Uh, we always want to try to respond to something that points to some deep reality that um, is is helpful both in understanding the cultural moment or in providing a helpful contrast with a gospel framework. And in my mind, this one did did both. And, and a culture that can't decide whether uh, gender is a social construct that means nothing and can be interchanged on a whim, uh, or whether it is this kind of hard fixed category, uh, you know, that, uh, defines who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, as we were talking about earlier. I mean, it, it's just a really confusing message and gosh, what a wonderful contrast to the biblical perspective, uh, or, I mean, I guess I should say the biblical perspective is a wonderful contrast to this, that to be created male or female is tied to who we are. And it's also something that is actually good. And, and I think about this in light of this, the awful, horrific school shooting that took place in Michigan. And that's another factor of the story, how our larger culture is failing young men. Um, you know, th- there's very few things that tie together the string of mass violence. Uh, really the only thing you can point to with very few exceptions is that it's young men, young men that have some form of uh, uh, inability to connect with who they are. A lot of times dad is absent, but in the middle of that awful, awful story, you have this football player whose dad walks up to the meeting, you know, the staging area where he's supposed to meet his son, sees his son isn't there and immediately goes, you know, my son's the type of kid who would run into you know, try to stop him. And everyone says yes. And then the students say, we watched him run towards the shooter while we were running away. And you look at that and you're like, that's masculinity, right? I mean, there's something there about who that young man was and was trained and raised to be. And in a different um, setting, it would have been called toxic immediately. And there's just very little resources for young men to know who they are in our culture right now. Yeah, that's good. So, I I mean, it's really crazy that I even have to ask this question nowadays, and I'm not trying to get a uh, soundbite and pull you off sides or start start (laughs) some controversy here. But do you think the Wall Street Journal got it right, by and large, you know, what, what, you know, their observations of where men are when it comes to their relationship with college? Did they tell the story the right way, as best as you can tell? As far as I can tell, I mean, at least a part is the uh, the college thing. I don't think they were willing to go, you know, at least in this article down the line of the many reasons that higher education right now is in such a vulnerable place. Right. And institutions of higher education aren't fulfilling the promise. And 
Um, I think we're going to see, although I have to say that there, this has been a prediction for a while, I, I do think eventually we're going to see the shuttering of an awful lot of colleges. It, it's just the math doesn't work. And it's not one thing, it's everything. Um, but and, and, and this article, I think, pointed to the one thing pretty well. I'm not sure that it um, can, made, the, made the connections to the culture-wide ways that we are failing young men on one hand and the institutional-wide failures of just higher education that goes beyond just young men on the other hand. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to call this one fake news. We'll put it yeah. that way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's the soundbite. Thanks. That's what that's, I needed. That's the soundbite you wanted. There you go. Uh, wait, let's jump down. I mean, this was a question I was going to ask you a little bit later, but I think it's relevant now. So do you talk to anybody that is a, on the other side of higher education? Maybe they're sitting on a board of trustees or they have an executive position or a leadership position at a university. And, and are they looking at this almost uh, maybe like a capitalist or like a business owner going, the market is no longer responding the way they were. And so we need to look at our product differently, right? Uh, if people are leaving our product, there'd be business owners all around the world that would go, if, if we're losing customers, let's ask why and let's change our product and let's maybe change our marketing or something like that. Uh, any conversations you're having with, with leaders at higher education that are asking those types of questions? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it is a uh, a pretty common topic among leaders in higher education that there is a crisis looming and something's going to have to change. Now, the yeah. great exception to that are those schools that are so well endowed that there's not the financial pressure to actually have to change their model for the market. Um, you know, there, there there's a, a new thing. I don't know if you've seen this term, um, uh, Adam, but it, it it has to do with a. Uh, uh, an academic that was, I think, at Cornell and ended up now at Cambridge or maybe Yale and Cambridge. And he's got this idea called luxury beliefs. In other words, it, it, basically what he's arguing is, is that there's a particular level of, of, uh, of uh, financial stability and wealth uh, th- that is required to hold certain beliefs. And the rich are able to hold certain beliefs without the same sort of consequences that the poor, if they held and lived out of those same beliefs. This is an example. So there's there's universities that have fiddled around with ideas for so long that are so unmarketable and actually get in the way of an employable graduate. (laughs) But, you know, if you have an unlimited endowment and, and then you can you can continue to do that. You can be like, what was the story just a couple weeks ago where, where, where um, it was another Ivy League? I mean, obviously Ivy Leagues, there's a lot of jokes to be made there, but um, they have more administ- – they, they have a one-to-one ratio of teachers and administrators to students. So, you know, you can do that when you've got a kabillion dollars sitting in an endowment fund. Most institutions don't. And so what do they have to do? Um some Christian universities are making the decision to be as non-controversial as possible. So if the culture has already decided who are the social, social justice winners and who are the social justice losers, they're going to jump on board there and essentially move in a, in a more progressive direction uh, so as not to uh, risk uh, uh, offending faculty uh, or not to risk increasingly offending students or to tempt the accrediting agency you know, not to... Um, give them accreditation. There are other schools that I think have done a remarkable job uh, really becoming the best in a particular niche, uh, particular area. 
So you can look at a handful of uh, Christian colleges and even just private schools uh, across the board. And some of them have said, we're going to be the school that does this, or we're going to be the school that is known for this. And uh, as long as it's not too narrow and there's a big enough market, um, you know, you can, you can get there. I mean, the new University of Austin that was proposed uh, a few weeks ago by a group of really center left and center right thinkers who had been quote unquote canceled by other institutions is, you know, basically trying to say, we're going to be the anti-woke school. Uh, they're not going to be religiously motivated or whatever. And of course there is the, the, the theory that, um, uh, efficiency and technology can solve all of our problems that, that often creates other problems as the university of Phoenix and Liberty university and some of the big kind of, um, online schools have figured out that, you know, that can create as many problems as it can solve. So I think you see people trying new models all over the place. I think you also see a remarkable amount, and I'm really a fan of this, of non, uh, non-traditional para-educational programs trying to come alongside either preparing kids before they go to college, giving them a break once they're in college, study centers at, at secular state universities that are Christian-oriented. So I, I think the history of the church is one of Christian innovation. So this is this is something, this Wall Street Journal uh, article, I think, is something to point to and say, this is a reality. But man, let's see it as an opportunity as much as a crisis, uh, because Christians have a actual framework for what it means to be human, much less what it means to be a male human yeah. uh, and what it means to be a Christian male human, we should have something to offer in a culture that is increasingly defined by its meaninglessness, especially for young men. Yeah, that's it's fascinating to think about. I mean, I think some of the safe higher education institutions right now where there really is not as much controversy around them would be uh, maybe the local community colleges that just mm-hmm. seem to be focused on some of those core. Very pragmatic, classes. right? You, yeah, you, very it's, pragmatic. It's, it's, it's a very clear promise uh, ROI, right? Yeah. You, you're not you're 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 not paying to get a high paying job there. You're paying to get through classes, or you're paying to get an AA so that you can do something very specific, right? Yeah, that, and then uh, I think of just the the technical trade schools, right? That those right. are. Uh, they're teaching a a very job specific thing, so that yeah. you can go out. We're going to see more of those. Thing. Yeah, we're going to see more of those, and we're going to see more that are based around apprenticeships or hands-on sort of techno training um, as as some of those areas continue to grow. It's fascinating. All right, so I am uh, I'm 46. I'll be 47 next year. I've got a 13 year old and 11 year old. When I was 13 years old and 11 years old, the conversations around the dinner table when it came to higher education, it was not an if I'm going to go go to college. It's you are going to do it. My parents uh, did not go to college. I uh, grew up blue collar kind of town in, in uh, the Midwest. And so this was something they wanted to provide for their kids. In one generation, just one generation later now, the conversations we're having around our dinner table with my two boys are not uh, a given that you're going to go yeah. do this. And it's just so amazing how fast it changed. But some of these things that we're seeing on what you talked about in the very beginning, oh, we're not so concerned about maybe some of the ideas they'll be exposed to if they go to a big state school. It's more the cost, and is it really worth it? And, and are there other ways to to find some education? Well, for me, it's both. It's definitely the ROI, and, and that wasn't a part of the conversation. Uh, you're right. I mean, I graduated high school in '93 as well, and yeah. and you know, this was a if you're going to be this sort of person, you need to do this. You know, um, and and college was a, a requirement. I think there is a recognition that there are are other alternatives. I think there also is a recognition that. Uh, in 
something that has been labeled our age of perpetual adolescence. Eight, many 18-year-olds just aren't ready to go. So the options of a gap year or something like that now are thrown into the mix, and I think they're really good ones. But, but I think the, the, the real challenge with ideas has been overlooked uh, by Christian parents for a long time. Now, I'm not of the opinion that you don't put your students into a situation where they're going to confront or be confronted by bad ideas. I think that that's part of being human in the world. But we're absolutely crazy to put our kids in front of ideas if they're not prepared to deal with those ideas. And I think the temperature really has heated up on this. I mean, you know, I, uh, I, 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 you know, when I was coming out of high school, it really, I'll give you an example. It was really like, well, you know, you're going to, if you go to a state school, they're going to teach you that, you know, the world is an accident and is not really created by God. And if you say that, they'll make fun of you. And we have to think about, well, man, am I willing to do that? Um, that's a completely different social vibe and a level of social pressure than right now, which is what I tell students, which is if you go to, a, to many schools and you say that marriage is between a man and a woman and that sexuality is actually tied to our physical bodies and we're born male and female, you're not just thought to be wrong or traditional or outdated. You're thought to be evil, a bigot, uh, a, a, a fascist. Um, you're no longer considered wrong. You're considered, you know, evil. That that's a different level of social different. pressure yeah. in, in this kind of you know particular culture. And I think that uh, we can't underestimate that 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 actually is really happening. So you know, now the question is for my kids. Are you willing to make the decision not between your convictions and your reputation, but your convictions in your career, your convictions in finishing your degree program, maybe getting accredited? You know, I mean, I, you know, we, we've got real conversation. If you're Canadian right now and you want to be a nurse and you're not willing to participate in abortion, you're at real risk of losing your license right now sometime in your lifetime or never getting your license uh, be, you know, because of where the medical profession is going. That's That's Canada, man, you know? Uh, that's the nice Canadians to our to our right. north. That's um, now we're not there, but you can certainly be dropped out of counseling programs. Um, we've got non-conversion laws, all kinds of things that, that you, you you have to make some decisions around convictions, maybe that we didn't have to make a generation ago. Yeah. All right. Let's go back and talk a little bit more about about college. I want to bring a quote from your response. Uh, you guys quoted a fraternity president. Uh, one fraternity president, University of Vermont, said, "A lot of guys are here for four years." Uh, to drink beer, smoke weed, hang out, and get a degree. Um, do you think that's a new phenomenon? Because no. it's, that sounds really <laughs> close to what I encountered just back in the 90s. <laughs> no, and, and, and we put that in there. It was very much a movie. Do you remember, like, if you were the same age, we can we can commiserate around this. Right. When we were, uh, you know, in middle school, you know, the big knuckleheads were, were high schoolers, right? It was mm -hmm. Marty McFly. It was Ferris Bueller, right? And then we went to college and all the knuckleheads became college kids, right? And this was, uh, you know, all the, the Saturday Night Live character movies. You remember all the Adam Sandler movies. And if they weren't in college, they were 20-somethings, you know. And, and of course, now the knuckleheads in the movies are married with children, but that's a whole nother part of the story of perpetual adolescence. Um, there's a whole lot of things that are different from 1993 to now. Not, not that guys want to party and see what they can get away with. Uh, but, you know, there's the Me Too movement, which uh, I think has changed an awful lot about what guys can get away with. And that's actually a good thing. I think guys have so kind of run the field when it comes to uh, th their uh, – how, how do I want to put this? This kind of mindset, this, this kind of knucklehead mindset 
that now uh, young women have largely accepted it in many ways. Now you do have the Me Too thing, and and that's a real real phenomenon, obviously. But you know, I, there, there's been two articles that I've read over the last couple of years that have really just bothered me, and I and I do this for a living, so it, it t- takes a while. They both had to do with a hookup culture: one in college campuses, one in young twenty somethings. And what they were both saying is uh, that the young women are driving this right now. In other words, if you remember the movies we watched back in the '90s, the young men had to work really hard, you know, to, to you know to, to get away from authority and and to to have sex with uh, you know free sex and drugs and all that. Now it's almost like all the work's being done by the women. Uh, the hookup culture being created by women. And, and and as they were interviewing some of these college students, this was the first article, the one girl said, yeah, and but we always get drunk first. And you just kind of think, wow, this is the life they're choosing where they have to get drunk first. And then the, the, the next interview, which I think was Vanity Fair, was uh, prior to pandemic, downtown Manhattan, a bunch of young 20-something professionals. Classic story, by the way, T- young 20-something women professionals. They've graduated from college earlier. They've got better jobs earlier than the young men. And they're talking about how great Tinder is, You know, the app where you swipe left, swipe right. And she said, you know, what's great about it is, is 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 that you can you can have all the sex you want and nobody gets hurt is what she says and then literally the article does this and says and then she paused and looked down and sighed and said at least no one gets hurt on the outside in other words the definition of a good sexual experience for this 20 something year old girl was that there was no physical abuse and you just think that's the best we've got so you're right. I mean, this is nothing new. We've had the years of the Porky's movies and the Saturday Night Live <laughs> yes. movies and yeah. all that. None of that's new. No. Uh, but 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 th- th- we have gone to a new degree. And one of the things that I would I would recommend to everyone on this front is a uh, a video that was produced by Mark Regnerus from the University of Texas. Mark does some remarkable work. Uh, uh, as a sociologist looking at sexuality and, and young people and the difference that religious commitment makes and all kinds of different things. But he has something called um, the economics of sex. And the economics of sex basically talks about the relational dynamics between men and women through the lens of supply and demand. So if you think about um, men having the demand largely for sex and women having the supply, the more women can keep it rare, the higher the price they can charge. But when social forces basically make women act like men and just distribute it wisely, then men get all they want without having to pay a high price. And so one of the punchlines of Mark's thing is, is that like, look, uh, again, all these social factors, all these uh, th- these issues uh, – that point to who's growing up faster, who's maturing faster, who's wealthier, who's more educated, who's more stable. And across the board, it's young women, but young men still get all the sex that they want. Why? Because sex is not the only relational dynamic that can be seen through supply and demand. Relational security is as well. And women tend to have a higher demand for that. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that women don't want sex and men do, and men don't want relational security and women do. It's just when you talk about kind of on a culture-wide level, women tend to have the, the, the demand and men tend to have the supply. Well, because men are getting all the sex that they want, not having to pay any price at all, they can charge as high a price as they want for relational security. 
So women, you know, yeah, I'll be your boyfriend, but it's got to be an open relationship or I'm going to be addicted to porn or you're going to go to work and I'm going to stay at home and play Halo all day. In other words, they can set the terms of the relationship. Um, and, and so they men get what they want, even though, you know, they're maturing at a far slower rate by all social factors. Yeah. I love the quote you all put in the article, uh, paraphrasing T.S. Eliot, before we know what to do with something, we need to know what it's for. And you you pose that great question of, all right, well, what are men for? Uh, can you quickly paraphrase? Uh, how did you all answer that? What, what are uh, men for? Yeah. And let me just say that T.S. Eliot quote is not a direct quote, but it comes from an article called The Aims of Education. And it is such a helpful framework Yeah, because it talks about function and purpose. And, um, basically what he says is, and when you see something new that you don't know what it is, you can ask, Oh, what can this thing do? But your better question is what is this thing for? And then you'll be able to answer the question. What can this thing do? You know, if you see a laptop, you're like, Oh, I I can use a laptop for a puppet show or to skip across the lake, like a rock. You can do these things with a laptop, but it's not what a laptop is for. And you're going to end up either underutilizing or destroying it. This is the point is that if things are designed, you need to know what they're designed for before you can say, what can you do? And, you know, with men and, and, you know, this is a great illustration of this, by the way, since you, you know, spent so much time in church ministry and and, and so on is um, helping kids understand sexuality. Right. So I, we grew up in the just say no era. Right. right in other right. words, we, we, we heard about this is what you should do. This is what you should not do in very clear terms. And sometimes the only kind of substantiating argument was, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, you'll get a disease. And then Magic Johnson got AIDS and it scared us to death for at least six weeks. I remember the, where um, I was when I found remember, out. I remember where I was standing, <laughs> yeah. too. Right. Yeah. Um, but so we've told kids what to do with their plumbing, so to speak but not what their plumbing is for. Uh, We've told kids what to do sexually, what not to do sexually, but not what sexuality is for. And this is a real Protestant oversight and Catholic as well, but Protestants really are behind the the curve on this one. Um, The same thing is true for men and women, you know, like men don't be idiots. Okay. That's helpful. But what are men for? Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be more than that. Yeah. Men don't be toxic. Okay. But what is masculinity for? Now, I think there's a lot of things you can, you can point to, but this is why it's so essential to see the Bible as a coherent, large narrative because Genesis one and two does not just tell us that the universe is created. It gives us some of those purposes. It gives us some of those created uh, designs by God. And, you know, so let's take, for example, the issue of, um, perpetual adolescence, right? We're, we're just used to adolescence being a stage of life. Adolescence was an invention of the late 20th century. Okay. It did not exist before. As one person put it, it's chubby checkers fault, you know, which is a really fun story. Um, but I know we can get into that if you want, but the whole uh, yeah. point is, I'll, I'll invite you back on and we'll, that'll be the we'll episode. Get into that yeah. one. But, but you know, the whole point is, is that, um, uh, we expect, young men to lose their minds and become idiots for five, six, and now increasingly eight to 10 years. If you go to almost every other culture in the history of the world, people that men, young men that same age were, first of all, young men, and they were managing crops, they were taking care of business, they were fighting in wars. And, and, and so a, a characteristic of adolescence is not caring, apathy, Right. And we look at that and we say, oh, boys, it will be boys. But A, we're not talking about boys. We're talking about people that would have been considered young men yesterday. And secondly, not caring is not immaturity. 
if God created you to care? And I think the, the best answer to your question, what are men for, is God created men. He created humans in general, but specifically men to care for the world. We're supposed to leave it a better place. We're the only animal, and I don't even like calling us animals, but for the sake of the point, yeah. we're the only animals that don't just take the world as it is right? But we take the world as it is and then imagine what it can be. And we're actually tasked by God to make it bigger and better. Yeah. What a wonderful job description. How cool is that? You know, I often make this joke. I don't know. You remember that movie with uh, Tom Hanks, uh, Captain Phillips several oh, years course, ago. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. about the Somali pirate ship and that whole deal. It was a true story. Yeah. Do you know in real life how old the captain of that pirate ship was that took over that Tom Phillips boat? Oh, no. How old was he? 16. Oh, my goodness. Now, look, I'm not saying we should raise a generation of young men to be pirate captains, but that's still way cooler than playing video games all day. You know what I mean? Like we're, to being a Fortnite king, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just like, let's let's think bigger and better. And and, and that's why um, it can't just be, you know, you know uh, don't touch that girl. Stay away from that stuff. Don't be an idiot. It's, we've got to give a vision for what men are for. Yeah, I like that. That's really that's really encouraging, very inspiring, and I appreciate you sharing that. I, I really I, I found that very very helpful as I read through the article. Okay, let me let me just uh, close this down with one last question here. Uh, I'm thinking about church leaders right now. They have been through a tumultuous 24 months uh, with the pandemic, all the yeah. social unrest, and and everything. And so the last thing that the church leader needs right now is to hear that. Uh, the good old days are past. You know that there's there's some new, uh, some old thing that they used to really enjoy that they now need to fret that that is gone too. So, uh, let's encourage church leaders right now. What would you say to the church leader to encourage them as they seek to engage the young men, uh, really at any age, just as they seek to engage men in their congregation? Well, I think we have history organizations in history that were able to call young men to a higher account. You know, I mean, obviously the military is an example of that, the Boy Scouts. And that's why the loss of the Boy Scouts is so, by the way, so devastating. Um, I, I say this, and here's what I mean. There's an old saying that in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Um, in a land where no institution or all the traditional institutions that were once helping men know who they were, who, what they're for, and, and helping them emerge into adulthood. When so many of those things are broken right now, the opportunity now for the church is just amazing. Um, I, I say this at great peril. This is what Mark Driscoll was trying to do in Seattle in the early days. And you saw what it did. Now, I'm not saying he did it right. I'm not saying he did it well. Uh, I have a problem with the way this story is being told right now because the the message that we need young men to be young men is being conflated with how he did it and some of the ways that he led. And I don't think that's a legitimate thing. Now, look, I, I, I'm not saying we want men's groups that just go around and, and, and grunt and make body noises and, yeah. you know, be idiots. And post uh, but, William Wallace, uh, you know, pseudonyms on online and things like that. Right. So no, we, yeah, we don't that's right. That. That, that's not masculinity. Yeah. It's again, if it's, it's not just fighting, it's fighting for something. It's not just doing what you want. It's doing something for the good of others. The, 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 the story of biblical purpose is something that young men need to hear and nobody else is, is getting. And by the way, I also want to just be clear. I'm not saying here, whenever I say something like this out loud or on our breakpoint commentaries, we get we get emails from young men who say, look, it's not our fault. The culture stacked against us. That's true when it comes to divorce proceedings. That's true when it comes to an awful lot of things. And 
I, I, I don't, I don't dis, discount that at all. I, I just think that when young men act like young men and when old men help young men act like young men, um, when we finish well, th- this is just what the world wants and the world needs, especially a, a world that's literally out of options. So I just, I would just encourage parent, uh, pastors to see this as a remarkably uh, important opportunity and something they could really step into. I love it. John, this has been uh, fascinating. I really do. I appreciate your work. I've been an admirer for years. Love what you guys are doing over there. Uh, how can people stay in touch with you? Uh, is there one one website you want them to go to? Or what, what are some ways that they can keep tracking with you and, and the great yeah. work you're doing? I always say, you know, if you're on Twitter, you can follow me at JB Stone Street. And if you're not on Twitter, don't start. So, you know, that's, that's my piece of advice for them. But no, the, the, the best place is to go to breakpoint.org, B-R-E-A-K-P-O-I-N-T, breakpoint.org, or look up the Breakpoint podcast, wherever you do podcasts. That great. magic word breakpoint will get you in the right direction. That's great. All right, John, thank you so much. It was great to be with you today. You too. Thanks so much. I loved what he said there and that answer to that question of what are men for? And very simply put, they are to make the world better. And so I think that's our homework, right? Like if you're listening to this next time you are uh, with your better man group or you're with another man, uh, maybe it's your sons, maybe it's just some friends and you're just having some conversations, just ask that question and see how people answer that. What do you think men are for. What do you think they're for? And I think it's going to lead to some great conversations. And I think John gave you some great sound bites and answers there. And so very, very thoughtful answers as to what we're for. And then we can ask ourselves the question, are, are, we, are we carrying that message forward? Uh, are we really letting men know, celebrating them, letting them know you have a job to do on this earth and God has put you here, not just to not do stuff, uh, but he has put you here to make this world better. And so I think we've got a clear call to action with all that. So you guys can go to breakpoint.org. I'll put links to all of that in the show description and uh, and so that you guys can track with him and stay in touch with him. Uh, this episode, as all of our episodes, was mixed and edited by the amazing team over there at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. If you want to learn more about the Better Man experience, please go check us out online. We can be reached at betterman.com. That's betterman.com. That's all we got for today. We'll talk to you again next time.